Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theatre Radio. I'm your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. In 2016, the MTI Styles and Drew Mentorship Award was created by the multi-award-winning musical theatre team of George Styles and Anthony Drew and Mercury Musical Development, supported by Musical Theatre International European Division. Now, the Mentorship Award is presented once every two years to a writer or writing team who have submitted the first full draft of a new musical. Well, today we have the 2023 award winner, Maz O'Connor, the creator of the musical, The Wife of Michael Cleary. Let's just jump right in and learn more about their life and the new musical by welcoming them to the show. Hello, Maz, and congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have won this award. No problem. Awesome. Now, before we get into the show and the award and all that fun stuff, I always like to get to know my guests a little bit better because... The audience might not know you. So we always do a 30-second bio. So my question is, who are you in 30 seconds? In 30 seconds? Crikey. Okay. <laughs> well, my name is Maz O'Connor, and uh, I was born in Cumbria, which is in the northwest of England. Um, I now live down in London, and I'm I'm a singer-songwriter. Um, I'm a, I'm a musician. I've, I've been a, a musician for about, about 10 years. Um, I'm a singer um, and I, I play guitar and write my own stuff. And that's kind of what I do most of the time. And then uh, I started to write this musical sort of uh, maybe four or five years ago. And I also, I'm working on a novel and yeah, I do I do various different kinds of creative pursuits. Um, and that's me. Also, I'm vegan and I like cycling. <laughs> nice, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So my question is, were you, always into musical theater growing up or is that something you discovered a little bit later in life yeah i i was thinking about this before coming on because uh it, in some ways i feel like probably compared to your listenership like probably not that much like um i you know I, I was a 90s kid so disney in that decade and the decade after i think had some really amazing music right i think that was alan menken time and you know uh, beauty and the beast and Hunters and the Lion King, like all of this music was just incredible. So, probably to be honest, my first exposure to like the kind almost musical theatre form was was those Disney films. Um, and then actually, my older brother was more into it than I was. Um, bless him. He he came on a school trip to London and they saw Cats, and he brought the VHS home and he used to put it on. He wore my ballet uniform and pranced around the living room, wanting to be in Cats. Um, so he was more into it than I was. And uh, then I kind of, I've always loved, um, I've always loved Julie Andrews. <laughs> I've always loved the sound of music and I've always loved Mary Poppins. And those were like proper cornerstones growing up. Um, and those are two of my my mum's favourite films as well. So we had that, we sang a lot of that. We were a very musical family. Um, but I'd say it's only sort of in the last few years I've, I've really dug in and the type of musical theatre that I'm into would be the the let's say the darker story driven stuff um so obviously Sweeney Todd comes to mind um that's got to be one of my faves um and then like everyone you know I went I went wild for Hamilton um so and you know West Side Story for me is like the ultimate top top which again has this darkness and is driven by this driven by the story really so i'd say 
I'd say that's where I am. I'm not a diehard die in the wool. I'll go see any new musical. I don't know the scene really. I I don't I don't know who the moves and shakers are. I yeah. Um, but uh, that that's yeah that's my relationship. What do you think of that? You know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I've I've interviewed <laughs> there's like there's people I've interviewed who've been you know doing it since they're like one right. They've been yeah, in love with musicals and stuff like that. And then there's people like yourself who you know enjoy it. It's there but it isn't your life. Like <laughs> I interviewed one gentleman who wrote his first musical at, in his sixties, but he was also the keyboardist for, um, was it, uh, Ozzy Osbourne for 17 wow. years. Yeah. So, you know what? The world is eclectic <laughs> and we all have our different things. So there's nothing wrong with, you know what? I don't know some of the movers and shakers either. Don't worry about it. <laughs> there's too many people to know. So that's okay. Yeah. And I would say on the whole, like scenes, I, I am wary of scenes. I'm very, I'm very much a cat. I like to, to be on my own. <laughs> I'm hyper independent. And I, you know, I, I grew up on the folk scene. So I, I grew up, you know, singing uh, what we call trad music, trad songs, um, singing and playing the fiddle. And that was a very big part of my life. Like growing up when I was a teenager, I used to go to folk camps and, and all of this. And, I had a bit of trouble being on a scene in in that in that kind of area. It, it got a bit groupthinky for me, mm-hmm. and I felt that it was impacting my individual artistic voice. And I just got in my head about it. And there were certain sort of tastemakers that you had to please, and it it just it just made me very anxious. So I then moved away from that scene quite consciously to try and just protect myself a little bit as an artist. And and so you know. Um, whilst my experience so far in the musical theatre scene as little as I've kind of gone into it has been absolutely lovely and people people do seem very lovely I'm I am just wary of scenes in general yeah it's it's true no matter what you're in that can happen right it doesn't matter if you're in sports or politics or the arts it's yeah humans (laughs) we are yeah we we like tribes don't we Exactly. And and you talk about you, you write folk music. And the truth is, folk music and musical theater aren't that far apart, really, because they're both story driven with their songs. And, you know, tell us a little bit about what drew you to to folk music. Mm. Again, I think stories. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's in my family background. You know, my dad's had a family are Irish. So if, if you go to any kind of family party where that's a, a christening or a birthday or a wake then that there is a certain time of night when everybody takes a turn and sings a song um and those songs are little stories and you know quite often someone dies or several people die um <laughs> so so i think i've always been into that narrative driven music because it allowed me you know growing up i was quite into performing as well so it allowed me as a singer to perform this story and take on a character which I think can distract you as a singer from um, vocal perfectionism, you know, because you, you, you're you there to express something and to, to take the audience on a journey. And I really enjoyed that side of it. Um, and I think I also, I, I really enjoyed the connection to something older because I, I feel like if you're knocked around by trends and fashions um, in the arts, then it's another way to kind of, I've found that I've lost my sense of self and I like to connect to things that have been there a bit longer so you know that they have something a, a bit deeper to them you know otherwise they wouldn't have stuck around so long um 
so yeah it was it was fairly unusual like I grew up in like this uh industrial working class town in in Cumbria and, and I used to get up in assembly and sing these you know tragic old folk songs I don't think it really I don't think people really understood what I was doing or why I was doing it but I don't know it was different and I I felt it was um more fulfilling than than pop music for me and and that's the nice thing about musical theater. They've gone away from, you know, what is considered musical theater sound. Now Hamilton is musical theater. Folk is musical theater. Country, like every sound. So it's, you know, what you're writing when you write folk type sound is, mm. is perfect for, you know, what we do in the musical theater world. So I'd love to learn what made you write this the show in the first place? What's the impetus for uh, the wife of Michael Cleary? Well, way, way back, um, I think maybe 2017 or 2018, um, uh, the artistic director of a, of a theatre in London called the Finborough, um, Neil, Neil McPherson, shout out, he, he contacted me and it was funny because I was doing The Artist's Way, I don't know if you've ever done The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Um, it's an amazing kind of, um, almost like a textbook to unblock creativity and and even if you're even if you're not blocked it's an amazing kind of journey to go on but I was doing the week uh it's week by week and there's a theme every week and this week was synchronicity which was about how beautiful things can seem to line up for you when you put a when you put an intention out into the universe sometimes the universe can match it and, and give you something in response and it's called synchronicity and I was just thinking like oh well, I, I would love to write for theatre. And then I got this email from Neil and, and he was saying, have you ever thought about writing for theatre? And I was like, oh, universe, synchronicity. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had this chat and, and he was really kind, kind of talking me through, you know, how to write a musical, basically, because it was something that, that I was interested in, in theory, just because, you know, I so I did English Lit at uni and I've had this interest in stories and I found that my pers my songwriting as a solo artist was... Um, limiting me a little bit you know in terms of what I could do with character and story and um I wanted to 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 go to write for a longer form and he he advised me he said you know for a first musical he advised me to find an existing story um or adapt something so that at least that side of things is, is taken care of um and then the idea was I was going to write something for the Fimbra but then I found um the story of Bridget Cleary and it turned out that was going to be a bigger cast so Unfortunately, it kind of like didn't end up working with the Fimbra, but but yeah, I, I heard about Bridget's story on a podcast called Lore. I'm trying to say it, Lore, like L O R E, um, as in the second half of folklore. And uh, it's this podcast. It's just 15, 20 minutes long, and it it takes a true story from history that's connected to folklore. Um, and they told Bridget's story, but to be honest, to 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 me. Uh, and I, I will say what Bridget's story is in a minute for people who don't know. But to me, they didn't focus on Bridget so much. They kind of focused on her husband, um, Michael Cleary, um, who killed her because apparently he thought he was a fairy she was a fairy changeling. Um, so, yeah, to go back to the top of Bridget's story, um, she was uh, in 1895 in County Tipperary. Um, she was a very talented dressmaker. She was known for being ambitious, headstrong, independent um basically she was not the things a woman was supposed to be at that time in in a small rural community and she was also she was married but she was childless um and had been married several years and had no children so all of these things kind of 
rang alarm bells from a patriarchal perspective. And her husband became convinced, apparently, that she was a fairy changeling, i.e. she'd been stolen away by the ace-she. Um, and I can explain more about Irish fairies if you think that's that's interesting later. Um, but she'd been stolen away and replaced by someone who looked just like her but isn't her. And that's why she's behaving strangely. And the way to get the so-called real Bridget back is to perform this fairy ritual which involved her whole family, became more and more brutal and violent. And in the end, Michael set fire to her dress. So I felt this story, I'm super interested in folklore. I love folklore, always have done. Um, I felt it kind of ticked that box for me. Also, it suited my musical style. So I thought, okay, I can do something with this because I write folk music. So, and I, I write particularly kind of Celtic folk music. So this will work. And then also I just felt so drawn to Bridget because she was, killed when she was 26 and I was 26 when I found this story and I just thought you know what if I was in 1895 I'd been I'd have been one of the ones that they they did that to you know she's she was very inspiring to me and very um very uncompromising as a person and it just absolutely enraged me that she died for that and I just yeah I guess I had this passion that I really wanted to tell her story and I wanted people to know her name and I wanted her to have a sort of narrative justice in the sense that I wanted it to come across that it's not Michael's story and the mystery isn't, was she a changeling or not? But it's it's a story of male violence against women and how that happens and therefore how can we hopefully, you know, prevent it from happening in the future. So a very long answer, but that is your answer. <laughs> and once you discovered what you wanted to write about, was the writing process easy? Did the, the songs just flow out of you or was it, you know, a little bit harder because this is a new you know, genre that you're working in, a new uh, mm. field? Both. So I started with the music because I didn't know any better. <laughs> um, <laughs> I might not do that again now. I don't know. I started with the music because that that, is, that at the time was my comfortable place. Um, and I wanted to write, um, quite similar to the opening of Sweeney Todd, I wanted to write an opening sort of ballad that would just lay out everything that the audience needed to know. This is where we are. This is who Bridget is. This is everything that was so-called wrong with her. And let's just lay it all out now. Let the audience know something bad is going to happen. And here we go. Here's the story. So that song came actually very quickly to the point where now I can't remember writing it. And it kind of freaks me out because the feedback I've had is that that, that opening number, which is called Trouble Always Comes to a Woman Like That, is apparently very strong. And that freaks me out because I have no memory of writing it. And I kind of feel like I didn't write it. I'm sure writers can <laughs> empathize with that. It feels like it just came you know, which is, is great, but also a bit frightening because you're like, can I do that again? Like, was that me? <laughs> um, yeah, so that bit came came quickly and kind of easily. And then the others, ah, a mixture, a mixture. And it's, you know, it's iterative, isn't it? It's, it's just draft after draft after draft um, of the songs. And and then going going back to the book, I'm writing with a, a dramaturg and kind of um, story consultant. My friend Alan Flanagan is helping me with the book. Um, uh, so we do work on the book and then that means I have to go back to the lyrics and change the lyrics and then that means I have to change the music slightly and then you think oh actually this whole vibe for this song isn't quite right let me start again and it, it, you know it's yeah. it's a very iterative process so let's fast forward you you finished at least you finished your first draft of it how did yeah. you find out about the the, the uh, Styles and Drew award yeah well I um, applied for Beam, which is the showcase of new British musicals run by Mercury Musical Developments. Um, 
and they I, I met um Martin and Kate who worked for MMD I, I met them at pitch day and I kind of said to them I was like I don't know anyone in the scene <laughs> like who are you who's MMD what do you do like how, how do I kind of you know get involved in this community a bit and um and so they said well you know join as a member so I joined as a member and and then I found the prize probably on one of the mail outs I guess and um, one of their newsletters and I know this might sound like try to ever but I, I genuinely didn't think I stood any chance whatsoever because it was my my first one and because like I didn't like I said I didn't know anyone in the scene and I kind of thought oh you don't know what other people are writing and, and I just thought I'll do it because why not you know and I might get some good feedback and it might alert people to the fact that I'm I'm making this thing but um yeah I I, I didn't know at all what what the, what they were looking for um I gave it a go and uh, here we are. Works out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes it's better not to know anything. Like to go in yeah. <laughs> because ignorance is bliss and, you know, you don't know what you don't know and you can't make mistakes when you don't know what the rules are. Right. And that's, it's, it's, it's that beautiful cutting edge, double-edged sword of, of uh, going in and something new. Um, how did you find uh, Bean? Uh, I, I know about them and stuff like that, but uh, tell us a little bit about that, what you, your experience with it. Yeah, um, so Beam is a, a two-day showcase. So they had 29 new musicals all showcasing across two days. Um, and we were given a 25-minute slot Um and we had, uh, yeah, they gave us a little bit of money, which is great. That's super helpful. Uh, these <laughs> things should always come with money uh, when you, you're, you're working. You know, there's there's nine in my cast. So doing any sort of showcase, is, it can be very expensive. Um, so, yeah, we had a day's rehearsal in Oxford um, with this group of people in the cast who, some of whom had done some of the music with me previously in a previous workshop um, earlier this year, but a couple of them hadn't at all. Um so yeah, it was a little bit seat of the pants, like, you know, just one day trying to, trying to learn this music. Um, but they were all amazing. And then we performed it on the Thursday afternoon, 25 minutes to, um, in the Oxford Playhouse, which is a beautiful theatre, to, I guess, industry people. Again, I, I, I didn't know who was there, which is good. Um, yeah. So I, I didn't want to get too nervous. <laughs> I didn't want to know who was there. Um, and, and then I kind of, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to come the next day to network. Um, so I, I kind of just, shot off afterwards um but it it felt it did feel it felt really cool to kind of be among the people who are making the musicals right now you know it's, it's a really cool kind of feeling and there's so much support and excitement and i did find it to be very um yeah supportive like i got a lot of messages from other composers who were doing it and people were reaching out and sharing each other's stuff on socials like it, it is really cute I'm always curious when, when you saw it on stage, they were performing it, the, 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 the 25 minutes was, yeah. was there anything that surprised you? Um, you know, that the, the, the actors brought out that you went, I didn't realize that or audience <laughs> reacted that you went, I didn't even think they would react that way. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something brilliant. There's, there's this um, actor called Corinne who was playing uh, this character called Aunt Mary. So she's she's Bridget's Aunt Mary. And anyone with, with an Irish background uh, will know of the kind of the archetype of the mammy um, who is this kind of uh, very nurturing but, but quite overbearing uh, 
mother um, <laughs> who, who talks a lot and has an opinion on everything, um, but you do not mess with Mammy. Um, so this is Aunt Mary, and um, she's kind of Bridget's mother figure because Bridget's mother died in childbirth. So she's she's kind of the, the stand-in mother figure in the piece. Um, and we've, we had this song called Girls Rule, which is um, where Bridget kind of lets rip a little bit and, and lets out all of her grievances about how she's treated by the men in her family, basically. And she starts to whip up Auntie Mary and, and also her cousin, Johanna, Auntie Mary's daughter, who's very meek. She whips them up into this like girls rule frenzy, which ends in this big dance. And uh, when we were performing it, um, Corinne, who was, was playing Auntie Mary, she has a line um, where she says, uh, basically it's set as Ireland are struggling for their independence. So there's this parallel in the piece between uh, feminism, you know, women's struggle for independence and Ireland's national struggle for independence. And so Aunt Mary turns to the, uh, she has a line where she says um, to the men, uh, something about, yes, all this talk of the English, and yes, I agree they're a blight, which you leave us to Fiji and Clothia and Cleany, and I say that's not right, or something like that, or a load of shite or something. Shites in there somewhere, and uh, and I never realised, but she <laughs> she was wearing these glasses, and as she said, uh, all this talk of the English, and yes, they, I agree, they're a blight. She turned down her glasses and turned to look at the audience, <laughs> and directed the line at the English audience, and I was like, oh yeah, I didn't think that, but yeah, this is going to be an Irish cast performing in England to an English audience, and there's that lovely like co comedic moment that she found, and. Um, that just felt just, you know, naughty enough. It was like, oh, it just sent a little frisson of discomfort through the, yeah. the room of English people going, oh no, she means us. Um, <laughs> and, and that was lovely. I would never have thought of that. And uh, she did it in rehearsal and, and, and I just pissed myself laughing. And she said, is that all right? Can I do that? And I was like, you must do that. That's so funny. <laughs> so so you finished the, the, the BEAM conference is done. When did you find out that either you were a finalist or you won? I, how, how's that process work? Um, I, I think maybe, I think maybe I knew it being, I'd been shortlisted, I think. Um, it, yeah, somebody rang me and, and then it was very quick after that. Yeah. It was like a week after that. They rang and said, or emailed and said that I'd won, which was amazing. And then they announced it the next day. So yeah, it was all very quick. Um, which is great because you don't want to be, you don't want to be sitting around anxious, wondering, checking your email, you know? So yeah, I really appreciate it. It was super quick. <laughs> And so, and what does it include? What 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 do you get out of it that's going to help you bring uh, the wife of Michael Cleary to the next level? Yeah, it it it's like a, a year's um, mentorship prize. So the first stage is that at the end of August, I'm going to um, south the south of France. Um, now I need to get Styles and Drew's names. It's George Styles and Anthony Drew. Think, George Anty. So Anthony has a as a place in the south of France. So I'm going there to to work with those two um, on the piece, which is going to be amazing because we had a Zoom when I was shortlisted. I had a Zoom with the two of them, and we talked over the piece and their thoughts on it and what I was hoping to to develop with it. And it was really cool because like they already had some really helpful ideas, and it it just got me really excited to sit down with them and look at the piece and take it apart and you know, just put it back together in a way that's just going to make it really sing. Um, so we're going to be doing that at the end of August. And my friend Alan Flanagan, who I mentioned, who's helping me with the book, he's coming as well. 
And uh, then after that, I think there's time for me to do some rewriting. <laughs> and then you get these labs. So you get lab days where I think with a cast and a director, you get to look at um, a short part of the piece and you get to, to try it out with them and then perform, you know, 15 minutes of it to an invited industry audience, get feedback. So you do that a couple of times and then you get a full, a full workshop, um, which is funded and, and comes with a, a performance in London. And I think they, they aim to kind of get the whole thing, you know, at least, at least someone spoken through. Um, and again, with an invited audience and of producers and venues and things like that. So yeah, it's an amazing opportunity and it's kind of, it's both a creative, um, mentorship in that George and Anthony are going to really help me make the show as good as it can be but also it's like a professional mentorship I suppose in that it opens up all these opportunities and gives me showcasing and, and stuff like that. Well congratulations uh, on on winning it and writing the show and I look forward to seeing where it goes from here. <laughs> um, yeah, <thank> <laughs> outside of this because this is going to take you busy do you have anything else that that you're working on no that doesn't have to necessarily be theater but just in general what, what are you doing in the arts um yeah well i, I don't know if i mentioned i was writing the novel so i'm, I'm nearly mm -hmm. finished with that so i've got final edits um from my agent and i'm sending off that soon so we're going to see if somebody wants to buy it so hopefully that will happen and if not i guess i'll write another one um yeah so that's been about two or three years in the making um and then I have performances as a solo artist. I've got some festivals coming up this summer and then I've got a tour in the autumn. So it's good. I like to have lots of different projects because they kind of, there can be, there's naturally quiet periods with any project. Um, and uh, that's when I'm in danger of going mad. Um, so it's good to have different things on the boil. So you can be like, okay, well, my agents are having a look at a manuscript, uh, draft of my manuscript for my novel. So they'll come back to me in two months. So I'll spend this two months, you know, working on the musical. And then and then I'm waiting for notes on the musical. So I'll, I'll look at my music and it suits me because I am, I'm, uh, I, I, there's no words that, see, productive and prolific sound good, but I'm not always convinced it's good because I, I find it very hard to relax and I have a thousand ideas at once and I always need to be doing stuff or I genuinely feel mad. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it suits me to have lots of different things on the go. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And I look forward to uh, seeing where this show goes. So maybe, you know, once it's, you know, a year or so on from now, you'll have to come back on. If you've got a production going on and let us know what's happening. Cause I look forward to yeah. seeing where this goes. Yeah, that would be amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Uh, congratulations. Thank you for coming on and introducing myself and the world to you and your new musical as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. All right. We were just speaking with Maz O'Connor, the winner of the MTI Styles and Drew Mentorship Award. Um, she won with The Wife of Michael Cleary, the new musical. Looking forward to seeing where that goes in the future and hearing that show at some point. All right. Tune in next week as we'll speak with another guest or guests about their life, love, and passion that is musical theater. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. And until next time, I'll see you when I see you.